0: Will you please pray with me? Father, we uh, come to you this morning and thank you uh, again to be with us as we uh, come to this passage. We need to hear what you have to say to us from your word about the subject of hospitality. And so you have graciously welcomed us here this morning. You have graciously welcomed us into your kingdom. We ask now that you graciously uh, speak to us about hospitality. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So if you're uh, visiting with us, we're in the middle of a series where we're talking about the kinds of relationships that God has provided for us. The name of the series is Gospel-Centered Relationships. What does it look like for us to have the gospel shape the way that we do life with one another in the context of families, in the context of fr- friendships, in the context of the church, in the context even as people who represent Jesus in the context of the places where we work or our neighborhoods. Uh, and so we've said that the, this, uh, these one another commands have their primary application within the context of the church, but certainly beyond the context of the church they expand to all of the different types of relationships that we have. And what we have been looked at so far is that we are to love one another, that we are to bear one another's burdens, and that we are to forgive one another. And today, we are looking at another one of the approximately 50 different commands in Scripture uh, to one another. And specifically, we're looking at show hospitality to one another. Uh, what we're going to do today. So I started writing the sermon and I was doing great. I was like, man, it's just the words were flowing. And then I got to the end of the first point And I realized that my first point was long enough to be a sermon in and of itself. And I still had really great stuff to say. And so I was like, well, I'm not going to preach an hour long sermon. So you're going to get a two parter Uh, Today, we're going to look at an overview of the scripture and what the scripture has to say about hospitality, because there's some really amazing stuff for us to see. And and I think that if we are able to see the story of the Bible as the story of God's gracious welcome, that it will open our eyes to see the story of the Bible in some new and exciting ways. That said, the next week, we're going to come back to the passage of 1 Peter, uh, and we're going to look at 1 Peter 4, and we're going to bring in Romans 12 as well. Uh, and specifically look at the why and the how according to the way Peter's framing it for us. Uh, so today's the what. What is hospitality? Uh, and um, and just kind of to start us off, if you're you know, the kind of person you're like, oh, this is kind of interesting, I would like to learn more about this. Uh, there's an author by the name of Christine Pohl who was a professor... I don't remember. She was a professor at a Methodist seminary, if I remember correctly. Uh, wrote a book years ago called Making Room. Uh, and, and so just so you know, I have borrowed liberally from Christine Pohl's book this morning. Uh, so I'm quoting her at the beginning. And so if you go and read her book, you're like, oh, Omar said that. That's because I got it from her. Uh, so her book has been really influential uh, for, for both Kate and I as we have uh, studied and thought about and talked about hospitality over the years. Okay, so what is hospitality? Hospitality is a way of life that flows from the gospel where we sacrificially welcome others as if they were family or friends. Uh, So what we're going to do is we're going to take this definition and we're going to start to unpack the implications of this definition for us. And we're going to do that by looking at the story of the Bible. Okay. So the first thing that we're going to see, the first principle, as it were, is that if the hospitality flows from the gospel, that means that it is not a nice extra, but rather a vital part of the Christian life. Uh, so the first thing that I want to, to demonstrate for us from scripture is that this is a part of the very fabric of the story of the Bible, this idea of welcome, of how God treats you and I, and then how that therefore the implications of that for the way that we do life with one another. Uh, so, what are some of the evidences that we see of that? Well, in the New Testament, uh, we see that uh, the requirement of those in leadership, uh, in 1 uh, Timothy and in Titus, when Scripture's talking about the role of the elder and the leadership role of the church, hospitality is a requirement It's a prerequisite. It's a requirement for those who would serve uh, in that particular role. Uh, if you do not have a hospitable nature, you're not qualified to be a leader in the church. Uh, But that's not just true of the leaders, that's true of everybody. So that we see in Romans 12, when Paul is writing about the nature of the church and the practices of the church, that in there he weaves in this command, practice hospitality. But that's not just Paul, Jesus himself in Matthew 25. If you're familiar with that passage, uh, it's the passage, you know, if, you're, if you grew up in the church, maybe you know the, the least of these passage, right? That passage where, where Jesus says, you know, there was a stranger, there was a, a sick person, there was a hungry person, there was a person in prison. And he says, if you welcome these people... Uh, the king will reply, verse 25, Matthew 25, 40 says, The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. So Jesus is actually teaching us that when we offer hospitality to other people, that it is as if we're offering hospitality to him. That's kind of mind blowing. That's how integral it is to the life of the people of God. So it's central to the Christian life, but the reason that it's central to the Christian life is because it is central to the gospel. It is central to the gospel. It's central to the story of scripture in the Bible. There was a a Swedish theologian by the name of Krister Stendhal who said this. He said, wherever, whenever, however, the kingdom of God presents itself, it is always welcome. Now that's a bold statement. Uh, Is it true? Well, let me ask you a question. Kids, I'm gonna need your help first and then we'll ask the adults to chime in. I want you to shout out to me, what are stories in the Bible that you know where God provides food for people? Hit me. Come on. Sermon on the Mount. Uh, the feeding of the 5,000 and the feeding of the 4,000, which are happened a little bit after the Sermon on the Mount, but yes, Come on, I was like waiting to be peppered at this moment. manna, manna in the wilderness. thank you, all right adults help let 's help our kids out. Man and quail in the wilderness. Good. What else? Elijah. The last supper. What was that? Elijah. Elijah and the Ravens, man. you guys are getting all of them one more that 's it. Oh. Come on. All right. So there are lots of stories in the Bible. In fact, I would argue that one of the ways you can understand the story of the Bible is that God is continually providing food. How does the Bible begin? Genesis 1 and 2. God puts Adam and Eve in a garden. The garden has got what? Trees. What kind of trees? Fruit trees. And God says to them, You can eat from any tree you want except one. So God welcomes them into a garden that's a feast. It's a banquet. The garden itself is a feast. It's a temple. Uh, So the story continues and we get to the Exodus, right? We get to the, we're not going to do all of them, right? We're just going to kind of pepper through. We get to the Exodus and then in, let's see, it's in Exodus 16, we have the manna. In Numbers 11, we have the quail, right? So the people are in the wilderness. There's no food. There's also water. God provides water for them on two times, two occasions. One time Moses speaks to the rock uh, and one time Moses hits the rock and, it's, and it provides water. The second time Moses is supposed to speak to the rock. He doesn't do that. He hits the rock. God still provides water, um, but Moses gets punished for doing that. The promised land. What is the promised land called? The land flowing with milk and honey. Do you know how many times God says that about the promised land? Guess, anybody? 21 times. 21 times the land is called. Exodus 3 is an example i promised to bring you up out of your misery in Egypt and in the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey, right? What is that? Think, connect dots. God put his people in a garden full of food. God provides, he is the divine host of the meal. He provides food in the wilderness. He can provide food wherever he wants. Right, and then he promises that the place I'm going to take you is a place where you're going to enjoy food. You're going to enjoy food. The story continues. We get to uh, Elijah in 1 Kings 17, where we read that uh, Elijah is being persecuted by Jezebel. He he's afraid for his life. He's hiding in a cave, and ravens ravens bring him food. Now, ravens. Eat food. Ravens don't deliver food. They eat it. That's where you get the word ravenous from. All right? So the fact that God uses ravens to provide food is that God is the gracious host who provides for his, for his people. The Psalms. Psalm 23, verse five. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Psalm 145, 15. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food at the proper time. And then, oh, then there's Isaiah 25. Um, I cannot read Isaiah 25 without just like, oh, this passage is so amazing. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts. So this is a picture of the end of the world. This is a picture of God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. This is a picture of everything wrong being righted. This is a picture of perfect peace On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all people a feast of rich food, a feast of aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well refined." What kind of feast it's going to be? It's going to be feast where he will swallow up on this mountain, the covering that is cast over all people and the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord will wipe away tears from all faces and the reproach of his people will be taken away from all the earth for the Lord has spoken. Food, it's a feast. And it's at this feast that everything wrong is going to be undone. And it's a feast. And God doesn't just provide food for people. He provides food for his creatures. Psalm 136, he gives food to every creature. His love endures forever. Matthew 5, let's transition to the New Testament. Matthew 5, when Jesus is talking about not being worried, not worrying, not being consumed with anxiety. What does he say? Look to the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap. Don't store away in barns. And yet your heavenly, heavenly father feeds them All right? We talked about Jesus, right? Jesus feeds 4000, 5000 people in Matthew 14, 4000 people in Matthew 15, and was it only for 5000 4000 people? No, right? Because we probably are only getting the head count of the men. And so we know that there was children because in the Matthew 15 passage a little boy is the one that brings the basket of fish and loaves. Jesus in John 4 refers to himself as the water of life. Jesus in John 6 refers to himself as the bread of life. We have the last supper that happens in Matthew 26, Luke 22, Mark 14, and John 13, where he is the host. He literally is the host. All right? He's the one who makes all the preparations And he invites the disciples in in order to be able to celebrate the Passover meal, which incidentally, I totally forgot to add the Passover meal as one more expression of God providing food for his people. And then there's the book of Revelation, right? Matt, Revelation 19, the marriage supper of the lamb. But I stumbled on this. I never thought of this before. Revelation 22, right before, right, right when you get to the end of Revelation 22, a few verses from the very end of the Bible, we have a reference to those who are thirsty will be given something to drink. From beginning to end, kids, have you ever read a book? You know, uh, you've got those books that have got like a little cat. Let's say it's a cat, right? Or a little, some little creature, some little person on every single page. You know what I'm talking about, right? Where, where every like part of the part of reading the book is that you're looking for that, kind of like where's Waldo or whatever it is. I'm aging myself by saying where's Waldo. Um, food is like that in the Bible. God's welcome is like that in the Bible. When all of a sudden your eyes open up, you just begin to see it all over the place where God is constantly welcoming you into his presence. And so you see that hospitality flows from the gospel because God Has welcomed us. All right, so that's the first point. Secondly, we see that hospitality is sacrificial because it was a sacrifice that welcomed us in. What does Peter say in 1 Peter 4 9? He says, "Show uh, Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Why would he add without grumbling? What do you think? Because you're going to grumble, right? Because hospitality is hard work, right? Hospitality is something that is burdensome in in certain ways. Uh, And so it is easy to grumble. And yet the call is be sacrificial, right? We don't grumble because we are sacrificing of ourselves. So for example, in Matthew 25, where Jesus talks about showing hospitality to the sick, the hungry, the thirsty, the prisoner, the stranger, the premise, the idea, the understanding is that those people are not going to pay you back, right? So that you're not giving in order to get back. You know what I'm talking about? Where you, you give something to somebody and you're like, I'm kind of hoping it's going to hit me back, little boomerang effect. That's not what hospitality from a Christian perspective looks like but it is a sacrificial gift that we give for the sake of another person. And that really is, if you stop and think about it, just kind of a little, 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 little side note here, right? Um, the, the thing with the one another passages is not like, Christians are not the only ones who do these things. Uh, but rather, it's that the community of the church is to be so marked by these things that it stands in contrast. There are every, you, you do not have to believe in Jesus in order to love other people. You do not have to believe in Jesus in order to forgive other people. You do not have to believe in Jesus in order to bear other people's burdens or in order to be hospitable to other people. But when you have a community that is marked by these expressions, that is powerful and profound. And Jesus is saying, this is how my people ought to be known. And so hospitality is a really tangible way to love one another and bear one another's burdens. And of course it's a sacrifice because it's a sacrifice that allowed us to experience the welcome of God. Ephesians chapter two, we're gonna look at Ephesians chapter two again, but let me just make a, a passing reference to it right now where Jesus in Ephesians two says that it is you who were far away, have been brought near. You have been welcomed, according to Paul says in uh, Ephesians two thirteen, uh, by the blood of Jesus. So the welcome that you and I have received in the gospel is the welcome of is uh, was made possible by rather by the death of Jesus. You see, the gospel is not just good news that you have been saved from your sin. The gospel is also good news that you have been welcomed into the family of God, that you've been welcomed into the presence of God. Okay, so what have we seen? Right, we saw that, that uh, if... Hallmark of the gospel is this gracious welcome because it's the story of the Bible. Uh, we've seen also that this is also how, that it's sacrificial because it's a sacrifice that welcomes, in, welcomes us in. Then finally, hospitality is welcoming others as if they were family or friends because that's how we have been welcomed. Again, Ephesians chapter two. Uh, Paul in Ephesians chapter two is talking about how uh we we had no right to be a part, unless you're Jewish, but ethnically Jewish, you had no right to expect to be a part of God's family. Uh and then he says this that he's using covenant language, and covenant is this word that we use to talk about this really important relationship that God has with his people. He says, Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, so you had no hope of the Messiah. You were excluded from citizenship in Israel. You were foreigners to the covenants of the promise. You were without hope and without God. But, um, what we, uh, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So you who once had no right to expect any of the covenant promises, the most significant, important promises that God made, I will be your God, you will be my people. That level of of commitment to one another. You and I had no right to expect any of that. And yet God, through Jesus, brings us in so that now those promises that we had no right to expect now become ours. That's the kind of welcome that we've received. And so how does then this kind of translate into the way that we provide hospitality. If that's the scope, right? And, and like, I'm not giving justice to the scope of the Bible when it comes to this theme, right? But what but what I hope will happen now is that you start reading the Bible on your own and you're gonna be like, oh, there it is. Oh, there it is. Oh, there it is. And you begin to see just how true those words are. The idea of welcome as a part of the story of the Bible. So let's go back to that, that uh, circle of relationships diagram that we used in the first, uh, earlier in the series. We talked about there being four, four uh, kind of circles of relationships that we can think about in terms of the way that we manage all of the relationships in our lives. And again, this comes from a pastor in Tacoma. I think I said Seattle before, but he's a pastor in Tacoma. Uh, So he speaks, first of all, about intimate relationships. So intimate relationships, that's your spouse, that's your child, uh, that is, you know, close friend. These are those relationships where somebody uh, knows you, a brother or sister, someone knows you really deeply and really well. There's a really strong bond between you. Then we have personal relationships. And these are the relationships with people that we interact with on a regular basis, they know us, they know our lives. They're, they're an integral part of the, of the way that we live our lives. And then we have our social relationships. Uh, so social relationships are those people that we know. Uh, maybe we know their name, maybe we know little bits about them, but there's not that personal connection. Uh, and so probably for many of you, the relationships in this church would fall under uh, many relationships would fall under this, this uh, social category, right? The, the people that you know, but you don't know super well. So we have intimate, personal, social, and then we have civic. And civic relationships are those people that we don't know uh, personally, but, but we have overlapping connections, right? So these are maybe your neighbors that you don't know, but because you share a street, you have certain common interests, With each other. Uh, Maybe these are people that you see in the office that you don't personally know, but you 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 know you see them on the other side of the office, you see them as you're walking across the schoolyard, and there's a connection, you recognize them, you know them, but maybe you don't actually ever interact with them. The reality is that we we show hospitality in the intimate and personal spheres of relationships. But part of what makes the intimate and the personal Uh, So profound is that there is this give and take of hospitality and welcome that happens in our lives. And so what we want to say is that the, the, the teaching of scripture is not that you don't show hospitality to those people. Of course we do, right? But it's not just to those who are in our intimate and personal spheres of relationships. Hospitality doesn't end there. For example... Abraham in Genesis 18. Remember when we looked at that passage a few months ago, right? Three strangers show up. What does Abraham do? Like kills one of the best, you know, one of his best animals, makes some bread, offers them something to drink and says, please stay and let me feed you, right? That didn't happen. You don't slaughter an animal in five minutes, right? You don't cook an entire animal in 30 minutes, Right? So so these three strangers were with Abraham for a day, maybe longer, we don't know. And then in the New Testament, you have these images of this kind of welcome. For example, in Acts 16, we have Lydia. Uh, Paul shows up in the city of Philippi and he goes, there are these group of women that are praying by the river and they, they, a long story short, they become Christians and Lydia opens up her home to Paul and it is out of Lydia's home that the church in Philippi is planted. So Lydia is a part of the church planting team that plants the church in Philippi uh, and it is her hospitality that makes it possible for that to happen. Uh, And so Christian hospitality to those in our social and civic relationships is an integral part of what it means to follow Jesus. And so the question for us is, who are the people in that social sphere? Who are the people in that civic sphere of our lives that God is calling us to extend hospitality towards them? That God God is, is requesting of us welcome them as I have welcomed you. Now, what did that look like practically? Three things. Christine Pohl in her book uh, says that there are three kind of themes that emerge. Let me read a quote from her book for you. For most of the history of the church, hospitality was understood to encompass physical, social, and spiritual dimensions of human existence and relationships. It meant response to the physical needs of strangers for food, shelter, and protection, but also recognition of their worth and common humanity. There are three primary ways that you see hospitality expressed in scripture. First of all, food, meals. That makes sense, right? There's a reason why I picked food as the theme for us to consider together. So shared meals is an integral part of what it means to show hospitality. So so let me just say, I know we've had a lot of meal trains, um, but but bringing a mom who just had a baby a meal is a profound act of hospitality. It is a profound act of welcome, right? Because you're literally welcoming a new child. Uh, So a very simple way for you to, to say like, okay, what does it look like for me to like Step into hospitality—a very simple, very easy way, but but not not an insignificant way—is sign up for a meal train. Now, to take it up a notch, right? Because we don't want to just go for bare minimum. That's not that's not what Jesus calls us to. Just phone in the minimum to follow me. That's not Jesus' call in our lives. Uh, to welcome people for coffee for for. Um, for a meal, for brunch. Our Sunday school class that we just finished up last week, spent a lot of time talking about the principle of hospitality. Uh, And so if you want like a tangible book, the book that we did, um, Spiritually Vibrant Households, thank you, thank you Laura, um, was a really, really helpful book by Don Everett. a really helpful book in that respect. Um, and, and here's the thing. So if somebody was in, like, if you're like, Hey, I want to experience hospitality, the homework assignment for everybody in that Sunday school class was to begin showing hospitality. So just go up to somebody and say, I'm your homework assignment. And they have to invite you over. Um, so food, secondly, a place to sleep. And you're like, what? You're crazy. I'm not, I'm not crazy. Remember the story of Lot? Uh, Lot offered a place of refuge and a place of sleep for the angels that came into the city of Sodom. We looked at that a few months ago and yes that 's hard right that's that 's like not culturally yeah, but that 's not an excuse. God might be calling some of us to be like, hey, I've got this place and God, is welco- God has called me to welcome people to stay with me. Now, the cool thing is like, this is the amazing thing. Like this stuff's happening already here, right? I hear, I've experienced it. Um, you know, I've, I've, I've had, um, I had the privilege of staying with Connie and Bobby when I was in the midst of like moving here. Uh, and and got to experience their hospitality. Many of you have had me or my family over for meals. I know that that happens uh, with all. So this stuff is happening. I'm not preaching this and suggesting it's not happening, Um, a place to sleep, but also there are other profound ways that you can provide protection. So for example, I know in our church, there was an individual who needed a vehicle uh, and and somebody else had a vehicle that they were not using and lent the car to this other person for a significant amount of time and thereby uh, helping this person to protect them by allowing them to keep their employment. And then finally, thirdly, um, so shared meals, a place to sleep. And then lastly. Uh, places for the church to meet. Uh, so, in the early church, they didn't have moniker warehouses uh, in order to meet in, uh, and so they had to rely on the hospitality of people's homes. Again, that's something that has been a part of Harbor because we don't have our own facility. We have we've had to depend and rely on the hospitality that many of you have had, uh, just like Lydia, and opening up your homes in order for us to have meetings. And so that is a thank you, right? That Those are acts of, of genuine and true hospitality that we have for one another. A hospitality is a way of life that flows from the gospel uh, where we are sacrificially welcoming others as if they were family or friends. Uh, so next week, we're gonna come back to this topic. We're gonna look at 1 Peter 4 and we're gonna see how specifically we're called to the the why and the how. And there's a lot of great stuff that Peter unpacks for us in that passage. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for your gracious welcome. Lord Jesus, we thank you that the gracious welcome that you have provided for us happened because of the sacrifice that you you did on the cross. Uh, And Spirit, we praise you because uh, you allow us to experience that gracious welcome in real and significant and tangible ways. Uh, so help us, Lord, to um, to receive the hospitality that you have given to us, and then also to be able to express that hospitality to other people. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.